The Week in Bible Prophecy, a Prophecy Watchers podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. Mondo Gonzalez here with Gary Stearman on the Week in Bible Prophecy podcast. Before we begin here, I want to remind everybody uh, that uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or just any of the other um, places, that you would follow us, subscribe or follow. It's always good to uh, to continue to grow that so we can get the influence out there even more. Well, Gary, we're going to be talking about uh, this phrase we're seeing lately with all the stuff going on with Israel. No doubt, uh, there's a there's a war about there's a war kind of preliminary started getting ready to really jump in, and you see this battle going on, and you see some people say, "I stand with Israel," and others, "I don't." And so, what I want to discuss is, you know, do we stand with Israel, and what does that really mean? So, Mondo, what a question! Uh, standing with Israel is. Not a simple thing. Uh, if you go back through the ages, Israel's life, uh, whether in the land that they presently occupy or outside the land, is very, very complex. And I think the question right now that's being fought for, even as we speak, is God's relationship with with Abraham. You know, uh, Israel, to me, is not like any other country in the whole world, past, present, or even future, because God declared that country and and said, this land, he talked to Abraham, at that time, Abram, and said, I want you to look in four directions. I want you to stand in a certain place, and uh, everything you see, you, you can claim, and it's going to become a special place. And God, in several different uh, chapters of the Bible, goes into Israel at what Israel was, what Israel was not, and what Israel would be in the far future. But it's right in the center of God's thinking, and no other country on planet Earth is that way. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, as you listen today, as we get started, uh, Gary, what you just said is is exactly right. And so one of the things that we want to do today is we want to answer the question, what is Israel? We also you know, want to talk about the covenant that God made with Abraham as it relates to that. We also want to talk about the, the legal right as it relates to modern Israel. We want to talk about a little bit replacement theology, uh, the theological concepts of why there's so much confusion in the church. We also want to discuss the the Khazarian myth. Oh, yes. Of, uh, of and we'll explain that later. But if you're if you're listening and you're wondering whether to hang on, we got we got some good topics as well as just anti-Semitism in general seems to be uh, hiding in plain sight. And then also looking at again, let's following it up or, or concluding with what does it mean to support Israel today, and also what does it mean as a Christian? You know, how far do we support Israel? How, you know, do we do support everything that they say, everything they do is. Is everything that the modern Israel does perfect? What's the, also their religious um, component? How, what do they think about Christians as it relates to modern Israel and, and how that all comes to be? And, and also to, to say that, you know, do we love Palestinians? Of course we do. We're supposed to love everybody. But what does that really mean in practical terms and also as it relates to even Hamas as a leadership, as a political terrorist entity? So, Gary, let's start out here. Um, you, you mentioned Abram. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 12. So what is Israel in the Bible? Let's, I mean, there it starts to begin. There is no Israel before that. Well, there's. let's talk about that. This guy, Abram, uh, Genesis 12, verse 1, why, why is he special? I mean, he appears at the end of chapter 11. 
uh, in his genealogy, but why is this guy Abram special? Now, there's a good question. Why, you know, Abram <clears throat> was not a pushover. Let's put it this way. He had a lot of character. He had a lot of drive. Chutzpah, maybe? Chutzpah. <laughs> a, good, a good word to use. He had um, a certain strength of character, which was good at times and which was bad at times. And, and that's being a human being, I think. Yeah. But especially it's true not only of Abram, later Abraham, but it's also true of Israel. Israel has the reputation of uh, being the apple of God's eye, but no pushover. Israel pretty much does what it wants to do, and sometimes, historically, Israel has gotten in trouble, and sometimes, as in our era, in deep, deep trouble, but we always know that God is going to come to Israel's rescue because it, it started, and if I, if I just go over here and, and, and look at one verse in my Bible, uh, this is Genesis thirteen seventeen, where God's speaking to Abraham. He says, Arise, walk through the land, the length of it, the breadth of it, and I will give it to you. What a statement. That started what we see going on today in the daily news as we make this uh, this podcast. Yeah, it really is true that, uh, you know, when you think about the land, and, and let's be technical here. That Israel, the, the term Israel comes from uh, the renaming of Jacob, a Abraham's grandson. So in a technical sense, uh, a, a, an Israelite is someone who is a descendant of Jacob, um, his 12 sons. So Isaac is not technically an Israelite. And even Abraham's not technically an Israelite, but yep. they're the fathers, no doubt, of Jacob. Because, you know, with, with certainly with Abraham, you have Ishmael which and, and, and Isaac. So the covenant was made. This covenant that you just mentioned of the land was said, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Well, it wasn't to Ishmael. I'm going to give this covenant to Isaac. That was clear. And then with Isaac, the covenant was then made to Jacob and not Esau. So when you come to Jacob and the 12, um, the, the word Jew comes from Judah, the fourth son of, of Jacob. And then later it becomes kind of a, a synonymous word with all of his brothers, including Jacob. So let's be technical. Israel is Jacob. And his and all the descendants of Jacob. So again, not Esau, not Ishmael. So, but in that sense, what you see there too, you cannot separate this covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and then uh, certainly with Jacob. You can't separate the covenant that God made with the people and the land. That's a great statement mm -hmm. because, and I was about to say as you were talking, I was thinking, <clears throat> think about the genealogy. Uh, Adam and Eve, and they have uh, children, and their children have children, and you trace the genealogy, and you come down into the days of Abraham, I, I, uh, Isaac, and J Jacob, and guess what? Their genealogy tracks right mm -hmm. through uh, the period we're talking about, onward to the period of the kings, <clears throat> and onward into the period of New Testament, the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We have then a not only a continuing genealogy that tracks all the way through the Bible and to our Messiah, but we also have a geography to go with it. And it's heavily contested by the God of this world. And I believe that when we look at the subject that we're looking at, you can't leave out the devil. 
he's very mad. He's very angry. He's very, um, he believes that he unfairly uh, was stripped of his legal right to planet Earth. And still, he still claims it. And the whole Bible is very clear about that. And in particular, he's got his eye on that promised land. And you can see it so plainly in the news. I mean, all you have to do, why would you want that little strip of land? <laughs> well, it reminds me of, uh, of children where the kids are playing and maybe there's 10 different toys, 10 different toys. I mean, lots of, there's, but yet the one kid goes up and grabs the one toy and now the other kid wants that toy, not because there's not nine others. It's because he wants that one because the other kid has it. And in the same yeah. way, you know, the earth is very large, but when God says this particular piece of land, Abraham, look around, these mountains you see, this land, the desert, the, the Negev, etc. I'm giving that to you. And and in Genesis 12, verses one through three, we see we see this promise. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants, and you're going to be a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So you see, we call that the Abrahamic covenant. And soon, out of that covenant, you have a land component, you have a seed component, you know, in your seed. Yes. You also have a blessing component. And it's fascinating if you look at the Abrahamic covenant, the other three covenants that come out of that is the, the land is the Deuteronomy uh, or Deuteronomy 2930 the the land that the land covenant you have the seed which is the dynasty uh, we see that in second Samuel 7 as early as to David and then you have the blessing uh, the new covenant blessing which is in Jeremiah 31 so it's fascinating that as soon as God said this land I'm going to give to you and and through that I'm going to work my plan of redemption now Satan wants the land or he wants to corrupt the land or he wants to to fill it full of evil and he does or corrupt the people and the people yep and, and which is his way and by the way it's still working even right down to this present day it really is uh, because the world is a place that you think is wow this is great uh, World War II is all finished, and we're back, and we're working, and the economy's great. And <laughs> Fifty years later, it's still great, and everything's going to be just wonderful. And uh-oh, all over the world, you have people fighting. You have the Chinese, and you have the Iranians, and you have the Russians, and and on and on I could go. But somehow, and this is more than supernatural to me, that little strip of land there Small. at the east end of the Mediterranean is still more valuable than all of that other land. You know, I've, I've got Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9 open here. Yeah, 5 and 6. Will you read that? That, five, that To me, but let, let me preface it before you read it. Okay. Is everybody's going to say, okay, this verse applies just as much in ancient Israel as it does to today. And so what we have here, this is important. This is the promises of God eternal promises of God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what God says to them as they're about ready to enter into the land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And verse 5 says, <clears throat> not for, and I'm going to read it in the King That's James. That's fine, yeah. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess the land, but for the wickedness of these nations. The Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto the, my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's verse 6. Understand, therefore, and this is a, you know, listen up. Listen up. 
<laughs> Understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Now the next verse continues on that. that and explaining why there are stiff-necked people. Explaining yes. why there are stiff-necked people. Yep. But essentially, that is past, present, and future Israel. That it's condensed into that little statement made by God. We see it today. Yeah, and and, and obviously God's not anti-Semitic. He's just calling them out. That and again, as you said in the next few verses, He's saying you were stick, stiff-necked here, you were stiff-necked here, you rebelled here. But yeah. again, the key is at the end of five. God says it's not because you're righteous. I'm giving this because of my promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in the same way, when you come to the current modern era, when Israel became a nation in 1948, and, and again, in anticipation of as we're approaching the end of the age, it's, a very, it's the super sign, the prophetic sign. In the same way, God says, look, I'm, re I'm bringing you back into the land again, not because you're righteous, not because of this, but because I gave a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and... We know, Romans eleven twenty five 25, that God, all Israel will be saved. Well, in order for them to be saved, national Israel, they need to be back in the land and they need to follow Jesus. So they came back in unbelief. And right now, when we look at modern Israel, they're not following Jesus. They're, they're, most of them are secular. Most of them are atheist. Most of them are complete pagan. As we, as we, Gary, you and I talk, the state of Israel today is very imperfect. It's not a it's That's not a moral true. high ground as it you relates know, to. Well, comment on this. I, I want to ask you a question. What is it about the Jews? They, they really want to be hospitable. They want to be charitable. They are. Their thoughts are good. They observe the Torah and and they try to do good to their fellow man. And uh, and yet there is something about the Jews. <clears throat> there's there, there's because of years of experience, you know, more experience than I can even imagine, they have a kind of a suspicious nature. They've been kicked out of just about every country in the world. Persecution will do that to you. And they have developed a, if you will, a resistant quality. Yeah. And God has a word for it, stiff-necked. But, and we think maybe that's not a good uh, attribute. But on the other hand, maybe they've had to be stiff-necked to survive. And we think of that even today, because suddenly, as we make this, the whole world is going after them again. Yeah. I think if you look, there's two ways to look at it. You know, certainly one is modern, but the other one is just uh, historical. If you, if you go back to their identity, even in the land of Egypt, it turned very quickly where they became ostracized and isolated as a group and and, and certainly persecuted in, in slavery in the book of Exodus. We know that. Yeah. And then their history, God, you know, standing with them and, and isolating them. It, God put them, I think he did that on purpose. He put them at the cradle of civilization as it relates to, you know, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And all these, these empires are going back and forth right through there. And, and they had their own identity and he did that. You know, he gave them law, which again, gave them a special identity. They stood out. They were always different because they didn't participate in the pagan practices. And you go all through history, them in the land, but also being kicked out of the land after the first century, going into all the nations, having that identity. But again, as you mentioned, Gary, persecuted. So that stubbornness God has used yes. to keep them at, from assimilating into the whole rest of the world. So they have had this separate, very cultural, even religious. Again, in Israel today, 
there's very few, there's very few that are religious. They they don't really care about the Bible, but they still have a cultural identity and now a nationalistic identity yeah. since 1948. You know, it's always amazed me to read the Bible and you, and to read into Revelation into the tribulation period, and to learn about the the uh, regathering of the twelve tribes. And it very clearly says in Re- in Revelation that all twelve tribes are there in numbers that can congregate, uh, they can reallocate their positioning, yeah. they, they can become what they've always been, and yet if you ask somebody today, they'll say, well, you know, uh, we're not even sure the Jews are genetically present with us today. <laughs> you know, they, they, they may not even be Jews at all. They may be descended from people, you know, out in the steppes of Russia, yeah. out, in, out in the foreign land, and and some people call them Khazars, and yep. and and there's. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk <laughs> I, about that soon. No, we are. I just yeah. had to throw that uh-huh. in because because there is an argument about are those Jews really yeah. Jews? I think you know. In the, it's interesting that even in the first century, uh, you know, Paul recognized he was of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, yes. and we have the tribe of Asher. Those are all. Um, the, especially Asher was, a, a, I thought that was supposed to be lost. And so you do yeah. see after the, Ab- that's a good point. After the Assyrian captivity, th- th- many of them in the North that were part of the 10 Northern tribes came down. So they weren't lost. In fact, again, they understood that he, even James writes to the, to the 12 tribes, you know, scattered. And so they understood yeah. those things and no doubt 70 AD, once the temple records were destroyed and stuff that there was, there were, it's a little bit more problematic, but God knows God knows who's who. And, and so if we summarize, Israel had theological promises, eternal promises, according to Jeremiah 31. God says, um, if, if the sun and the moon and all the ordinances of heaven stop, then Israel will cease to be a nation. They've always been a nation, but they haven't always been, in, again, in God's favor. He kicked them out of the land in the first century because of their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. We know that. So, what we want to summarize here is that God's promise to Israel and their connection with the land, the only land ever in the history of the world that God has promised to a specific nation that we know about, is eternal. Now, let's talk about modern Israel for a moment. Uh, let's talk about the legal standing. Let's talk about the Balfour Declaration for a minute. Um, talk about that. Well, the the Balfour Declaration... <clears throat> Uh, came after uh, the Great World War, the, that, the war to end all wars. World War One. World the, War the, One. That's going to end all wars. It's right? going to end all wars. The big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> in the process of that, uh, the the Israelis, the Israelites in Aliyah, have, having wandered, had positioned themselves very nicely in mostly into Northern Europe. And you can say amazing things about the, about their positioning. When the Jews were uh, uh, living outside the land, they thrived. They multiplied in Northern Europe, particularly in Germany. And when that happened, the Jews had forgotten, basically. If you look at their history, they had forgotten about the promises of going back to the land. They say, we're doing fine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all settled in. And we're not sure about this whole b- biblical thing about going back to the land. 
And in fact, they became rooted in, in Europe, as is widely known. Had a good life. Had a good lot, terrific life. And, and they called themselves the best Germans, quote unquote. We are the citizens to end all citizens in Germany. And they were. They were the poets, the scientists. They were the, uh, the, the producers of new products and inventors, everything you can think of. And hey, why go back? Yeah, why go back to a to a desolate land? <laughs> and then God arranged something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after after the uh, the Balfour Declaration, going into World uh, World War One, there was a great upheaval in Germany. Everybody remembers it. Everybody knows about it. And that was the impetus of a return to the land. And we all read about it. We thought about it. Uh, we have watched it for since 1948, yeah. and we've all said, this is going to be great. Israel's building up the land. They're going to be settled in. Uh, they're going to assume their true identity. And, of course, if you've read Bible prophecy, you know that there's still another war to come. And yeah, there is, yep. At a warlike situation, yep. <clears throat> and it's going to be aimed right at the Jews. So I think if we, if we uh, see what we're talking about here is we're talking about the promises that God made and then we're, but we're, we're bringing in the element of the spiritual battle that there's a satanic hatred of the Jews. Why? It's not so much that the Jews are anything special, except that God said they were. And so the fact that God has chosen to, to bring the Jews into existence from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way down and to bring the Messiah through the line of Judah and then through the line of David. Um, so now he's, he, he's, he's, he hates them for what they do. He also knows that, uh, we have several passages in scripture, Hosea five fifteen, Matthew 23, that Jesus can't return unless the Jews ask him to return. Jesus says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in Matthew 23, right. 37 through 39. So you, when you look at that passage, Satan's like, oh, well, I got to annihilate the Jews so that they can't ask Jesus to come back. And if, because if they can't ask Jesus to come back, well, then he, Jesus can't come and rule and certainly uh, dis, dis, uh, disarm Satan fully and finally and put him in prison. So that being said, as we approach the end of the age, God has brought Israel back and he's given them legal right through the Balfour Declaration. Also, the League of Nations in 1923, they issued the mandate for Palestine, which was given to the British to, to implement and to, to manage. But then in 1947, you have the, the UN partition plan. So when, the, when, you, when you have this, the United Nations itself coming in and saying, we are agreeing internationally, legally, to give Israel a place in the land, which they haven't had since they were kicked out in, in the first and second centuries with the great revolts. All of a sudden now, I think Satan's put on notice. What? The, the very United Nations has given official legitimacy. And, and at the time, the people that were part of the, 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 the I would call the quasi-government of, of Israel, which wasn't Israel, when they heard this, there was a time frame. It was, it, they had to have it done by October of 1948, mm-hmm. but yeah. Israel preempted it because it, the, the, the British were phasing themselves out in, 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 in the early part of 1948. And so May 14, 1948, they declared we're a state based on the UN resolution, you know, 181 from the previous November. So now here it is. 
a miracle, a nation, Isaiah 66, a nation's born in one day. However, comma, comma, <laughs> there, there's a big however. And, and we mentioned the, the idea of the Khazars a minute ago. And you, you said, well, let's, let's put a few more facts in, in play here and then get back to the idea of the Khazars. There are, were many, many people all over the world who objected to the idea that the Jews had returned to the land and that the, the nation Israel was reborn. Christians celebrated it, particularly Bible believing. Bible believing, yeah. And others, dispensationalists, you know, celebrated the fact yeah. that others the, didn't. Other uh, Christians uh, didn't. Others, <laughs> others did not. And some people said those aren't Jews at all. They're not the true twelve tribes. And they resurrected an old myth, the Khazarian myth, yeah. which is that the Jews were not from the twelve tribes. But rather, they were tribes from the east, from the steppes of Russia, who, who traveled toward Europe and took on the identity of Jews and called themselves yep. Jews. And and where do you go with that? You know, I think that a lot of people might not even say, what in the world is that? Well, Khazaria was a nation. It, it was it was a very loosely confederate. It was a confederation. Really, what we would say in the area of the stands, Kazakhstan, yeah. you know, Georgia, in the Caspian Sea, the Black Sea area. And it, it went all the way up. In, in, as you mentioned, the southern steps of Russia it went west as far as Ukraine, and then it went east a little bit. So it was a real nation in, the, in really the seventh, eighth, and ninth centuries. But what happened was in the eighth century, you have um, the leadership, the, the royal class, converting to Judaism. So now you have this uh, influential class converting to Judaism, this empire, and and then of course. When you have that, you're going to have multiplication of, of people. And then, so what people will say is, well, the modern Jews that you see today are just simply converts. They don't have the blood, the genetic blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in them because they're converts. And so the ones you have today, then they migrated over as the Khazarian Empire uh, went out of existence. They migrated over into Eastern Europe, you know, again, Western Ukraine, Germany, uh, the Ashkenazi group. But you say, okay. No one denies that there was a real group of of uh, that co converted, but let's let's put this in context. There's two things that I think are important here, and that is we know from the book of Acts 17 that Paul was out preaching to in synagogues that were all throughout the Roman Empire. So there were Jews spread out everywhere within the Roman Empire, from I would say that the, the uh, even prior to the uh, the time of Jesus, but at least from then on, and of course they spread after the dispersion in AD seventy and one thirty five. So there's Jews everywhere, Gary. They're not they're not just limited to the Khazarian era. So even though you have this con con conversion of of the Khazars in this specific area, there were already ethnic Jews in every other part of the world: Spain, Gaul, Britain. I mean, so the fact that all of a sudden now the only Jews left in the world are the Khazarians. That just doesn't make sense historically. They, they were everywhere, all through Istanbul, all through the Northern Africa. So And they spoke Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the in the sense that in the in the religious way they did. Right. Yeah. But when the Jews came back to the land, you have the Sephardic Jews of the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, Portugal, etc., or all along maybe the north again, northern coast of Africa. So the Jews that came back. Are we saying that only one single group, the Khazarian group, came back to the land of Israel? Clearly not. Clearly not. And, and which brings up the point. <clears throat> uh, we now have the means 
through genetic, uh, genetic research to look at haplotypes mm-hmm. and to determine which bloodline you come from. And all 12 tribes have been, been identified by a tribal haplotype. So you can have your blood tested and know which tribe you're from, which I think is just amazing, which blows all that mythology. That's a good way you said the DNA evidence blows it right out of the water. And there's no doubt that there are so many who claim to be uh, Jewish today that go back to the Khazars or the, the Caspian Sea area. We know that's true. But a lot of the others go back to Portugal. They go back to other lines into Western Europe or even Northern Africa or even to the east towards uh, – there's a lot of Iraqi and uh, Iranian Jews from the Babylonian captivity still. So Ethiopia, we have Ethiopian Jews. That has nothing to do with the Khazars. But it's in their genetics clearly to show that is there a Khazarian connection? Yeah, there uh, maybe a few percentage. But the rest of the Israeli population today comes from all over the world. And that, that's the other key, Gary, is for me, Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38. God says, I will bring them back in the latter days. Yes. And I will bring them back from all the nations that I've scattered. I don't think God is limited by DNA studies to say, hmm, I, I, I don't know who is a Jew. I don't know who the true genetics are. The fact that God says he will bring back the Jews is enough for me. Case closed. The Jews that are in the land today are the ones that God brought brought back supernaturally and providentially. And so if God says those are the ones I brought back and I'm calling them Jews, do we really need anything else? We don't. Well, I'm looking at Ezekiel, you know, and, and Ezekiel uh, 37, that uh, 25 says, uh, referring to the latter days, very carefully laid out mm-hmm. at the, in the end chapters of Ezekiel, uh, it says, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant. And that that begins, shall we say, the really beautiful ending uh, of, Ezek- uh, of Ezekiel's prophecy, because he goes from there into how the Jews are going to have to fight to keep the land after they return it. And after that, they they win the battles. And the kingdom then is described as Ezekiel's prophecy rolls yep. to an end. And so we look at that and we say, well, we know how it ends. We, we've, we've read the end of the book. We know what's going to happen. And God knows who those tribes are and what he's going to do with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it It's so clear in Scripture. And I, again, for those listening, there's a lot of confusion out there. And we're trying to provide you know, some historical, and but most importantly, the biblical. So the question, maybe we can do a little summary here, is that we're asking the question, why do we stand with Israel? Well, we don't stand with Israel because Israel's righteous, just like God said. I mean, we're, we're not picking on them. Israel is just as imperfect as every other nation. Um, but we stand with Israel because of the promises of God. So in reality, we're standing with God. We're standing with God. And if God says, hey, Mondo, if you want to stand with me, I've made this promise in my word to the nation of Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land is theirs forever. So I brought them back into the land. Did you see that? Yes, they're in the land. I planted them there for a reason. We have The end game is coming at the end of the age. Therefore, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to stand with the promises of God that, that it's not right as much as we might, we, we should love the Syrians and the Lebanese and the Palestinians and the Arabs, we come and we say, hey, look, we love you. You need Jesus just like the Jews do. But if you're asking where I stand as it relates to who owns the land, God said, I've given it to this group. So I'm, I'm encouraging you, don't fight with God on this. Now, that doesn't mean that, that they get carte blanche to murder people or, or whatever. I mean, it, again, 
We, we know that, but the land belongs to Israel. Why? Why do you say? Because God said so. And who's going to challenge God's reasoning? Not I. Not I. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the whole Bible is built that way. It's built around the point, the single point, that God created the heavens and the earth. You go through the entire Bible. He creates a new heavens and a new earth. In other words, God has got it pretty well laid out, shall we say. Yeah. All we have to do is learn to read his book. And his book is written in a linear fashion, you know, and we call it Bible prophecy. It begins over here, mm -hmm. and it has a middle, and you go to the New Testament, and, and things happen there, and then it has an end. And right in the middle of all that are the 12 tribes. Basically, they're driving what happens socio sociologically on the face of planet Earth. And God made the decision that they would have have that position. And, you know, the Jews sometimes have been heard to say, God, why did you choose yeah, us? Yeah, why did you choose us? <laughs> There's well, a certain sense that's true because then Satan attacks them because they're his chosen yeah. in that regard. That's and, and, and which brings me to a point that I wanted to lay down in front of you. What is anti-Semitism anyway? We, we talk about it. Where does it come from? Why is it so powerful? And by the way, we're seeing some waves of anti-Semitism uh, traversing the world right now. And uh, anti-Semitism has a biblical source point, I think. And there is biblical reasoning that helps us to understand anti-Semitism. But it's a crazy, crazy thing. It really is. And I think that as we've, we've kind of said it, but now let's say it a little bit more explicit in that anti-Semitism is the hatred of the Jews that is satanically inspired. Because why? We have an enemy that, again, is seeking to interrupt or try to, to try the best he's, he's failed at it, uh, has a great record of failing uh, in the sense of thwarting God's uh, messianic plan of redemption, which includes the Jews. And so as soon as we as soon as God says, I'm choosing this group, Satan now is hating them, and he's he's hated them from Abraham's day all the way through. We, we don't have time to trace all that. All the way through history, church history, all the way up to the modern day. But let me ask you this, Gary, because part of the anti-Semitism, it presupposes something else. And that is something that I, we, we want to discuss here is give a definition, if you will, of replacement theology, and, and because some might say to you, well, Gary, you're, you know, here you're quoting Ezekiel, but don't you know, didn't you know that all the promises, all the unfulfilled promises that you would have to national Israel in the Old Testament are now on the church? So talk about how replacement theology, what it is and how it contributes to anti-Semitism. Well, the church is about uh, two days old or 2,000 years, 1,000 years being a day and a day a 1,000 years. And and. <clears throat> The 2,000 years of the church age have not been all uh, roses and, and and fresh fruit and all the all There have been wars. There have been battles. There have been factions. And a lot of them have arisen to challenge what we consider to be the biblical view of the church. Mm -hmm. And we talk about replacement theology. Uh, you're essentially saying, Something has replaced something else. And Jew hatred runs all the way back to the first century, to the present. And uh, in Europe, in the Middle East, 
even the Far East, everywhere you could find that Jews have traveled, there was Jew hatred. And the common belief became generated over the years that God once had a covenant with Jews. It's broken. They, they, were, they sinned so grievously. He scattered them all over the world. They'll never come back. And he has replaced Judaism and the 12 tribes and the promises made to the 12 tribes. He has transferred those over to the church. And there have been several lines or factions mm -hmm. of replacement theology that have come down through the various church. And I don't know whether we want to get into the various denominations no, or not necessarily. But but there that have, would lead us down too far off the. It's off the, the common the thought that the, the Jews really had the covenant of God, but they were so disobedient that God had to rip it away. And the new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ has replaced uh, permanently, forever, per permanently, forever what the Jews had. Yeah. So, so how do you uh, how do you argue against that? You know, I think it's the, one of the things that we I want to recommend here is uh, we have a book in our in our online bookstore called Zionism: The Case for Zionism by by Tommy Ice, Doctor Tommy Ice, and uh, ho hopefully you'll find that in the description below. But that's a book that I think every Christian should read because, especially now, that we, as we move forward with Israel becoming so central and this war, who know who, who knows how long it is, we need to be able to to discuss intelligently with those around us that are uh, that again as it relates to anti-Semitism, that it's increasing. The anti-Semitism it seems uh, has never left since World War II and the Holocaust. It's kind of laid dormant, but it's there. It's been there, and now this is. It's it's been this has given an opportunity to make it rise. But I'll, I'll read you a quote from the Zionism book. It says, "We believe that the international church has superseded for all times national Israel as the institution for the administration of divine blessing to the world." And that is uh, Kenneth Gentry, a replacement theologian. And so when when you look when you when you think about that phrase uh i'll read you another quote by uh the other side uh, dr uh, randall price he defines it a theological perspective that teaches that the jews have been rejected by god and are long, no longer god's chosen people those who hold to this view disavow any ethnic future for the jewish people in connection with the biblical covenants believing that their spiritual destiny is either to perish or become part of the new religion that superseded Judaism, whether Christianity or Islam. So here we have, and you say, how do we respond to it? Well, what we recognize is that there's no evidence anywhere in the Bible that the church replaces Israel, that God will not fulfill his literal promises to Israel. But again, the challenge comes to this, Gary, that we believe that again, the Jews that are there today, God brought them back because they own the land, but they're there in unbelief. It's not because of their righteousness. We Deuteronomy nine, we read that, but they have a future, and they have a future national restoration. Romans eleven twenty five says that, but it only comes when they put their faith in Jesus. So as long as we maintain that, yeah. they're they're kind of on hold. God is going to bring them and, and accomplish His purposes, but their national res restoration, which is prophesied, will not happen until they call on Jesus. And the church, by the way, ha has been given uh, a, a particular destiny and a particular way of, uh, of blessing 
this earth during the last 2,000 years. Uh, so the church has brought a blessing to the world, but I, I want to point out rather quickly, everybody knows something that I'm about to say, and but they don't often mention it. And that something is that the Jews are a superior people sociologically, mathematically, artistically. Einstein, E equals MC squared. George Gershwin, piano virtuoso. I mean, go down the list. I could. I don't. I don't want to li oh, list all. People can look it up. It's amazing. It's amazing how many Jews are in the arts and sciences. They they are leading it, and in that way, if you really want to take that particular view, they have blessed the earth with wondrous things by proportion. By per yeah, they they have more Nobel prizes exactly than in all the different discipline disciplines in the fields that you just mentioned. So that tells you that God has blessed them intentionally, again, right. not because they're righteous, but in order to accomplish his plan to redeem them fully and finally when they trust Jesus. And they will be redeemed. And we read about that, of course, in the book of Revelation, where the, the, the 12 tribes are regathered, re reassembled, mm -hmm. reassigned, if you will, and, and things are going to be made right after years of absolute horror i mean the wars the uh, the miseries the epidemics you know that are rolling down through the years have a point and they have a a blessed ending and we as christians understand that blessing and we preach it <laughs> and that does not include saying that the jews are, have been forever set aside but rather there is coming a day, and that's why we teach Bible prophecy. There's coming a day uh, when the age of the church will come to an end and Israel will rise to guide the world to that place that God promised so many centuries ago. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about uh, the promises in Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, yes. that, uh, uh, even in Daniel 2 as it relates to the Messiah, that the increase of his government will have no end. Well, Jesus, Jesus is going to come and rule as a. He's a Jewish man. He's still. He's he's a human still, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he he he's going to come and sit on the throne of his father David because he's he's a, he's a he's a descendant. By the way, I just have to throw this in. Mm -hmm. In uh, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, he has a tribe. Revelation five five. Yeah, it's it's crystal clear, Gary, that he has a tribe. And he's what the son of David. Yes, I mean, I mean, yes. And so the throne of his father David was a literal throne in Jerusalem. It's David never ruled in heaven. Luke one thirty two. I mean, you have these passages that, in order for God to fulfill His promises, see what happens here is it comes back to, at the end of the day, those that are a part of the replacement theology. Again, these these are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We love them. Uh, we just disagree with them on this regard. We think that they're that they're that they're being inconsistent, and they're being inconsistent in this one way, and that is again. When we look at the promises and the prophecies, the messianic prophecies of Jesus' first coming, all of us, including them, they take it very literal. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem or the Messiah, Micah 5 2, etc. Literal. But then when it comes, they say, well, those other promises that God made about restoration, the land will always be yours, that that becomes applied to the church. How? Well, figuratively, spiritually. And there's really no one-to-one -one correspondence of how they can do that. And when you have the idea, they say, well, Jesus is ruling from the throne in heaven. 
Uh, David never ruled in heaven. <laughs> he How ruled true. from Jerusalem. Yeah. And Psalm 2, I will set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Well, Zion's spiritual. Well, Zion is a hill in, 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 the, in the vicinity right there in Jerusalem. And guess whose foot is going to touch down on Mount Zion? Yes. That's going to be a physical event when the Lord returns. And from that point on, things will happen that you can't even imagine. And we're going to be with our Lord, and we're going to be watching him and perhaps even participating in the most massive reconstruction of planet Earth you can possibly imagine going into the millennial period. So what can we say except we stand with Israel? Now, that may be a dangerous thing to say these days. Well, <laughs> it really is true because I think as we, as we say that, we want to remind people Hey, look, um, Paul in his in the book of Romans is giving the, the, the whole theological of salvation, the gospel, right? Romans 116, I'm not ashamed yeah. of the gospel. But then in the midst of dis describing the beauties of the gospel, and especially Romans, the end of Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither this, this, this. But then Romans 9, 10, and 11, he says, well, what about Israel? If the promises of God are so amazing— well, what about the promises that God made to Israel? Or does God just get rid of those? And Paul spends three chapters explaining, no, 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 God has finished his promises. And, there's and by the way, he uses strong language. He uses extremely strong language. <laughs> and he's saying, in fact, God has fulfilled his promises to Israel in part in, in, in Romans 9, because Paul says, I'm a Jew, so I'm receiving part of the promises. But they're not fulfilled. And in Romans 10, he goes on in Romans 11, but he says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. All Israel will be saved, Romans eleven twenty five, right. when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. But they were they were blinded partially, not fully, because Paul wasn't blinded, Peter wasn't blinded, other Jews weren't blinded. So Romans nine through eleven gives us the history in advance that God has a future. But so when we say today we're we're standing with the nation of Israel, the modern nation of Israel. Make sure you understand this correctly. What we're saying is we don't endorse everything the modern state of Israel does because many times, and we've seen this, that right now, many of the, those in the religious, the current religious government, Gary, they are allowing Christians, true, genuine evangelical Christians to be persecuted. They are um, allowing that, and we know that, that the modern Jewish, I would say, rabbinic movement those that are truly in the rabbinic movement, they don't like Christianity. <laughs> if you look at history, they have some very nasty things to say about Jesus and about Christians. So now Netanyahu, he's he's a politician. So he he's he knows he, he likes evangelical Christians because he's looking for support worldwide. And, and and we are a group that generally does. Why? Because we believe the scripture. But I guess, Gary, in asking you, you stand with Israel, but do you endorse everything that they do as a modern government? No, not as a Christian. Uh, it, it, they might do some things that that they, that run against the Christian ethos, but it's it it's bigger than that, and that which is why we study Bible prophecy, by the way, because uh, Bible prophecy truly taught gives you a perspective uh, about uh, righteousness. Righteousness as it is laid down in human history. What a story. I mean, it, it, it has its incredible highs, its incredible lows. 
the highest of the highs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, the great men of the Old Testament, uh, who, who essentially forged history mm-hmm. down to the time of Jesus. And everything was set perfectly when Jesus entered uh, the world and accomplished what he uh, came to accomplish. And then he said, all right, I'm handing it back to you. Do your best. And for the yeah. last 2,000 years, the church has been doing its best, knowing all along that uh, we were not going to be totally successful because uh, we're not perfect in any way, shape, or form. We are, <laughs> what can I say? We are redeemed, but we're not perfect. Yeah. And this is the human drama. But through it all, uh, our brethren uh, in Judaism uh, have that role to play. And and we, as students of Bible prophecy, understand the role, and we're rooting for them, put it just in, in plain language. We are on their side. We want them to succeed, as God says they will succeed. But uh, Satan, the God of this world, and we haven't even mentioned him, <clears throat> He has his principalities, his powers, his rulers of darkness in heavenly places operating 24-7 to try to befoul Bible prophecy as God has laid it out here in the pages of Scripture. Uh, He doesn't want that to happen, and he's doing everything he can to upset uh, history. Yeah, I think I think there's also there can be some confusion too sometimes, and because you use the word brethren, and yet. Paul speaks about his brothers who are physically, you know, his brothers. Yes. But then he also speaks about brothers who are spiritually his brothers, maybe, you know, certainly the Gentile churches and, and as he wrote. And so we want to be clear that they, um, you you have some Jewish her- heritage, and so they are your brothers in the ethnic sense. But spiritually speaking, they're not our brothers. Not yet. Not yet. Not until they follow Jesus. And so we, we want to be clear on that, that, again, we— what we're saying, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that's that's an important point. It, yeah, because people sometimes, oh, you're calling our brothers. Well, no, no, we're not. I mean, again, you, you have some ethnic Jewishness, so you can call them that in an ethnic sense. But spiritually speaking, uh, they're not. Why? And it's not again. We to to tell the Jews, hey, you're not saved. You're lost until you believe in Jesus. That's not anti-Semitic. Paul said it in Romans nine and yeah. Romans in Romans ten. In fact, he said, "My heart is in anguish." Because I want my brothers to be saved, and again, he's speaking from an ethnic sense. But for us, as we as we look at Israel today and we see the battle that they're in, and so how do you how do you work? I mean, how do we deal with that? Uh, how do we even how do you evangelize that? How do you how do you love a group, or you can love them in a way, but you can't have agreements? How do you have an agreement with a group that their very culture seeks well, to to murder you? Islam. Uh- it makes makes one point very clear about about the Jews, and they have it in their written materials <clears throat> that Jews are to be considered apes and pigs, and killed at every moment, every every situation. Mm-hmm. And let's face it: who wants to be called an ape and a pig, and then all that goes with that? Mm-hmm. In other words, subhuman creatures, and therefore it's uh, it behooves me to wipe them out at any opportunity I get. And that's basically Islam, modern Islam. It does not regard Jews as human beings, which is shocking when you stop and think about it. But God selected, and I and I God is so wise, so far beyond me, 
But he chose somebody like Abram, Abram at that time mm-hmm. and said, you're going to go forth. And I'm going back to Genesis 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot was separated from them, lift up your eyes. You look uh, from the place where you are. In other words, you're standing on a piece of ground, Abraham, or Abram at that time. And I want you to look north, south, east, and west. That land's going to be yours. And you say, oh, that's wonderful. Hold it. There's going to be contention for that yeah. that piece of land where he's, you're standing. And by the way, that piece of land where he stood, it's still there. It's still there, yeah. And effectively, he's still standing there. Israel, as represented by Abram, is still standing on that piece of ground looking north, south, east, and west. And they know all about this promise of God. Yep. And... All I can say is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah, that that really is the key. That's a great verse to kind of end this segment on because as they're there, it's not ending. We know that the wars are determined all the way to the end uh, until the tribulation comes, which is going to be far worse than going on now. And so Israel's in 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 an extremely tough place because, you know, some people say, well, well, we support Israel because it's the only democracy in the Middle East. And and, and there's certainly that's, that's true. But for us, politically we that's not our that's not our basis we stand with israel because of the scripture and because of the promises of god and and yeah there are some practical ramifications for them being uh, and they have an illegal right for sure but also being a democracy but at the end of the day as you said gary we need to pray for israel because they they're in this situation zechariah 12 it, jerusalem's a cup uh, it's a burdensome stone it's a cup of trembling for all nations yes. and it's not going to end until jesus returns and we know that the future is grim but in the middle of it we pray and we, we desire we we pray for peace we desire peace we desire to see them but the, the, the main reason we want to do this podcast is is again and i encourage people to get the zionism book by tommy ice is we need to have an intelligent response of why and but let, let before we end let's let's bring this up because we didn't really get to it is uh too much and that is anti-semitism in america around the world all of a sudden but in america now we're having rallies we talked about a potential rally this this coming weekend in different places where was this anti-semitism just there was it hanging out i thought it was gone i thought it was gone after world war ii it's always there, and the reason it's always there is because it's it's being stoked from behind the scenes, and I believe that's Satan's big role. The big role that he is playing is to interfere with God's prophetic plan as laid out in Scripture. If he if if God can be deterred in any way, Satan is going to find a way to do it, but it's not going to happen. I mean, you you know and mm-hmm. I know that we can trust the Lord. The is all powerful. He has history, past, present, and future in his hands. Satan still operates as though history can be changed. And he has a lot of followers mm-hmm. on earth who say, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what prophecy says. We don't want that to happen. We're going to go this way. And essentially, that's the world. And most especially, that is the world of Islam. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody, appreciate you listening today. Um, hope that this is a informative podcast, you know, again, we encourage you to like, follow, subscribe, all those things. And, and Gary, I just want to pray. Uh, I think they're, they're, we're just, we'll just pray father in heaven. We, we do pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. Most importantly, 
And we pray for the spiritual salvation, not just of Israel, for sure, but everybody in the Middle East. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would continue to make its way. We pray for cool heads. Uh, we pray for, uh, again, for, for life. There's so much death all around, and we pray that there would be peace. That's what we desire. We're supposed to pray for those things, and, and we we ask for those things to happen. Uh, according to your prophetic guide, uh, guidelines or, or, or prophetic scenarios, we leave that in your hands. But in the meantime, you desire for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which is what we do, uh, and, and pray for salvation for all of those, Jew and Gentile alike, in Jesus' name. Amen.